oh my god Katie no for the last time we are not talking about the war in Ukraine like even though it's a humanitarian event the Europeans are like people people are all totally aware of the situation three and a half million people fled the country close to two million displaced within the country we're aware of this the UN estimating 12 million people total will need help yes there's a war in Yemen and people are selling their kidneys for food in Afghanistan you can keep signing petitions and sharing articles about all the human rights issues in the world right now as much as you like you can donate to all of these causes to help get aid to people that need it but I mean the fact is right now we are here to talk about books well I mean I don't think we're going to top that <laughs> she right she right but male voices don't have a monopoly on merit man yeah and alliteration means it's real but a pink cover doesn't make a book vapid when BGS dear boy with love yes Chloe it's that and not feminism that's the reason why we're taking it for life so, like, Sarah? Yeah. So, so, like, so, like, like, you know the way you said there that we're here to talk about, like, boobs and all? Like, get it out of your system. Go, do it. Girls, girls, junk, you can't pop to the apps thing at the concert on Saturday and I just, like, can't live my life right now. Like, I mean, do we need, like... Okay, like, do we do we need to explain this? Like, can we just move on? Like, like, I would really, really like that. Well, like, I mean, like, people could be listening to the show for the first time today. I mean, and don't listen to Korean-made music. I mean, I find that hard to believe, Sarsha. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, I cannot help but feel that that was a joke at my expense, Clean of Devry, oh. and I do not. Appreciate it. Hi. Well, you know, I have the right to be a little salty on this subject, Chloe. I mean, Korean bands don't really accommodate my taste in women. And, mm-hmm. you know, you get to be in here being all thirsty. I am feeling very underrepresented right now. It's very <coughs> CL. Oh. oh, yeah, I forgot about, I forgot about, oh, God, I love CL so much. Yeah, she's, she is very sexy. <laughs> Talking bitch, it's abdominal muscles right now, girl. Okay, okay, you have 45 seconds. Go. What? Oh, um, oh, shit. Okay, um, so, yeah, right. The Grammys, yeah, were this weekend and BTS were nominated, yeah, and they had a performance, yeah, and uh, JK Alpa, yeah. he, yeah. like, he came down from the ceiling and people thought that it was mad, but like, Hermes, like me, like, already know it from Euphoria, I'm so off. it's not even a thing. And then Taeyongi Alpa, he was yeah. all talking to Livia Rodrigo at the beginning and he was like, fucking James Bond, girls. And like, Jin Opa was injured, he hurt his finger and his hand and stuff, so he like couldn't dance to you guys. So he was like, he was the hacker off to one side and he did like, they did this whole dance break with like jumping through lasers, but it was the same as the episode of Run BTS where they had to go through all the ropes and then touching them. And Yoongi Opa nearly did it with his arse. And, and, Five, and, four, what? three. See, I didn't even get to talk about the concert in Vegas where Yoongi Opa lifted over the top and it nearly killed me, girls. I could be dead right now. And you wouldn't even care. You're ridiculous. I can't. But like, like, but the, the thing is, though, like, like I've been to Vegas and like, and like, I hated it. But I don't know, like, seeing on like Instagram and stuff, like all the all the BTS like conventiony stuff for Army. We, we're all members of Army, by the way. I mean, yeah. Come on, okay. I was gonna say. <laughs> but yeah, seeing 
that. Um, yeah, it just kind of made me want to go back. Oh, because you're too good for Cara Claw. Oh my god, I love Cara Claw, you guys. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> but, but like, but no, seriously, like, should should we should we talk about the book? Yeah, like, that's, yeah. that's an excellent yeah. call. <laughs> yes, yes, it is an excellent call. Jesus. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> Today we're talking about um, As You Were by Elaine Feeney um, So this is an interesting one As you're all aware The the five of us, Serge, Chloe, Katie, Clee and, and me We're we're all voiced um, by our writer and producer Elsie Lewis um, so, so back in the days before Elsie like took on that pen name um, And started pretending to be five teenagers She used to do a bit of performance poetry <sighs> Like she is literally so embarrassing Like I know right <laughs> Like Katie like you wouldn't be up there doing performance poetry if you got the chance <laughs> You guys <laughs> you know <laughs> like, like it wasn't all bad Like yeah okay like some of it was terrible But like yeah I think she had like two decent poems if memory serves But like more importantly much more importantly during that time, Elsie had a chance to like meet and hear some of like the best people writing and performing at the time. There was Sarah Clancy, Kerry O'Brien, Elizabeth Reapy, Jess Trainer, Demetria Exidus, and Elaine Feeney. Like, like I still think about that poem about the box that Demetria used to do. Yeah, there, there was the box poem, Peach Season, and that one about the body of Christ. Like, I still I think about those a couple of times a month. Like when you're ovulating. <laughs> Dude. Yeah, okay, like like I heard myself say it and I knew that it was too far, but also like I think Demetra be down with that. Like yeah, I suppose. Um to move like, things along. Um thank you. I saw I saw she actually has a new collection out. I I'm definitely pronouncing this wrong. It's in Greek, but um Miden Uden um that I'm definitely saying that wrong. Um but yeah, I really I really need to buy it. Like I don't care what you guys say. Thanks for Nothing Hippies by Sarah Clancy should be a required reading for everyone with a functioning brain. Like, that should just be the case. You love her. Like, damn right I do. Like, if I didn't love my mammy so much, like, I'd properly ask her to adopt me. Oh, I'm telling Mammy Murphy. Like, you can if you want, man. Mammy Murphy goes to the protests too, so. Oh, shit. Yeah, I forgot my <laughs> But, like, Lane's the best. Like, anyone who, like, is able to, like, write a proper poem that gets published and all, about how Ryan Giggs is a riot, like, should probably be unquestioned leader of the universe. Chloe, you have been in no way unclear about how my appreciation for the older gentleman is extremely upsetting to you. How is Ryan Giggs not the older gentleman? I'm not saying I think Ryan Giggs is a right Saoirse. What I'm saying, yeah, is that I appreciate that there are people out there publishing poems in well-regarded literary journals terming a gentleman in the public eye an absolute right. Okay? So, so like, because of that, there might be hope for your ode to Chongu's right bicep. It is our ode to the tattooed portion of his right arm, Cleaner. So, his entire right arm, then. Like, don't interfere with my artistic vision, dear <laughs> Jack. <laughs> for, for declarations of poetic love for K-pop band members aside. I love you, Chuck Yuki, I'm 
that's enough. That's oh enough. <laughs> but yes, Elsie has had Elaine's novel As You Were on her to be read list for like absolute ages. And we thought there's no better way to finish our series on people what we love loads than by going back to Elsie's questionable performance poetry past and covering something by someone who was a stone cold legend back then and continues to absolutely slay everything in her path mm-hmm. now. Would we like to learn more about Elaine in the hopes that maybe we can someday get in her pants? Sarah, please. Elaine is a professional artist and we need to treat her as such and I would absolutely love to get in her pants. <laughs> You're clean <laughs> Yes. Okay. Um, so Elaine Feeney is a writer from the west of Ireland and she has published three poetry collections including The Radio Was Gospel and Rise, both with Salmon Poetry. She holds a degree in English Literature and History from the National University of Ireland, Galway, and postgraduate degrees in Education from University College Cork and the University of Limerick. Her debut novel, As You Were, won the 2021 Docky Book Festival's Emerging Writer Prize, the Kate O'Brien Prize, and the Society of Authors McKetrick Prize. It was nominated for Irish Novel of the Year at the Irish Book Awards and shortlisted for the prestigious Rathbones Folio Prize. Feeney's work featured on Best of 2020 lists in the Telegraph, Sunday Times, Irish Times, Examiner, Irish Independent, The Herald, Evening Standard, Telegraph, Guardian, and was chosen by The Observer as a top debut novelist for 2021. (gasps) Her short story Sojourn was published in The Art of the Glimpse, 100 Irish Short Stories, edited by Sinead Gleeson, another legend, and she wrote the multi-award winning drama Wrong-Headed, commissioned by the Liz Roach Company. Feeney lectures in poetry and creative writing at the National University of Ireland Galway, where she is a founding member of the Tune Oral History Project. She also works on mentorship programs and is interested in institutions and restorative justice, empathy and education, nationhood and working class voices. She was Poetry Ireland's ambassador 2019 and was a judge of the Seamus Heaney Prize Poetry Prize in 2021. God, she's so hot. Yeah, I know. I forgot how to use my words there like a bunch of times. <laughs> Understandably, <laughs> Sarah. <laughs> Clay, you have not had a response like this to an author in, in a little while now. I know. I know. I'm I'm quite overcome. <laughs> Come. <laughs> Katie. Oi. No, but like, no, like, no, but like, does, does anyone else find it concerning that Clee is joining Search on like Team Thirsty for folks that are too old for us? Wow. Ah, wow. here. Elaine isn't exactly Woody Harrelson, Katie. Yeah, like, that's fair. Like, why are you such a deviant, Saoirse? Whoa, kink shaming on the show. I, nice. I, 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 it is not a kink. He's just my boyfriend, Woody Harrelson. <laughs> like, what's the weird about that, you guys? Clee, would you please divert us away from Saoirse's daddy issues and just get us in on some sexy blurb action right now? Well, I mean, if, yeah, if you insist. Like, he's like 60, Saoirse. Like, it's Dude. been a while since my nanny saw 60, but, like, she also the closest person I know to that age. <laughs> Well, I mean, that is your fault for having insanely young parents, Clay. <laughs> How dare you, Sergeant Flannery. Also, I just remembered that I'm 20 in October and my mom's 48 and 99 is 79. But my point still stands. Her point has literally just been disproven, Clay. Oh my God. Sinead Hines <laughs> is a tough, driven, funny, young property developer with a terrifying secret. No one knows it. Not her fellow patients in a failing hospital, and certainly not her family. She has confided only in Google and a shiny magpie. But she can't go on like this, tirelessly trying to outstrip her past and in mortal fear of her future. Across the ward, 
Margaret Rose is running her chaotic family from her rose gold Nokia. In the neighbouring bed, Jane, rarely but piercingly lucid, is searching for a decent bra and for someone to listen. Sinead needs them both. As You Were is about intimate histories, institutional failures, the kindness of strangers and the darkly present past of modern Ireland. It is about women's stories and women's struggles. It is about seizing the moment to be free. Wildly funny, desperately tragic, inventive and irrepressible, As You Were introduces a brilliant voice in Irish fiction with a book that is absolutely of our times. Okay, do I need to put the two of you on a timeout? No. Okay, and I can trust you guys to let Kleena read this whole excerpt without being interrupted? Yeah. Suppose. Like, is this what it's like to not be on the receiving end of a naughty step talk? It's nice, isn't it? Like, I don't think I've ever felt so smug about anything in my actual life. Yeah, and you still wear your repeal jumper to lectures. Very specific repeal the eighth joke there about the repeal of the Eighth Amendment from the Irish Constitution. Just, you know, for our non-Irish listeners there, Chloe. Uh, We talked about repeal in the Precious Catastrophe episode back in episode three of this feckin' series, Sarah. People can go listen to that if they're curious. Oh my god! Kind of counterproductive to refer to our gracious, intelligent, attractive listeners as people. But uh, whatever works, I guess. Dude, you never get enough the naughty step. D- tell J.K. Power he can come find me, girl. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, but yes, no, it is a good point, Chloe. For more information on the Eighth Amendment, its associated human rights violations and eventual repeal, consult your local library, Wikipedia, or episode three of this series, where we also discuss Deirdre Sullivan's magnificent Precious Catastrophe and its prequel, Perfectly Preventable Deaths. But more importantly, Cleana, <laughs> would you like to do the honours? Oh, yeah. We're not doing the prologue, though, right? Excellent call. Excellent call, my friend. Yes, we decided not to do the prologue for this excerpt, kind of because it's kind of too good. Oh, my God, yes. Like, the prologue had, like, an actual physical recoil, like you fired a gun or something, like, genuinely unmissable. I swear you're sitting at home thinking this shit up before the show. Like, there's no way you just came up with that. <laughs> but, like, but like, as well, the first chapter, it's a bit more like the way that the story of the book is, you know, and the prologue is kind of different. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the first chapter kind of sets up what the events of the book truly are and what they're going to be like whereas the prologue gives us some insights into Sinead that are more kind of Oh my god, this book is just so good. Do you know what? We could we could talk. We're we're going to talk about it later. So do you know what, Clee? Why don't you just go right ahead? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sounds like a plan. Um. So it was it was this paragraph and onto the first chapter. Oh, actually, were we going to put in like a content warning for like issues with like pregnancy and some very strong language from the outset type stuff? <laughs> that's that's pretty much it. But yeah, um, there's there's yeah there's some mentions of like um traumatic pregnancy stuff and and um uh, some minor kind of abuse there is it's it's pretty it's 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 rough going but but normal stuff if that makes sense so but if 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 pregnancy issues of pregnancy are triggering for you um maybe skip ahead 25 minutes or so um yes thank you thank you for bringing that to our attention Clee. much appreciated i care about our listeners and their mental well-being um, but yeah, okay. I didn't tell a soul I was sick. Okay, I told 
a fat magpie. She was the first beating heart I met after the oncology unit and she sat shiny and serious on the bonnet of the Volvo. One for Sorrow. And I saluted her with that greeting that you give when you find yourself alone and awkward with one magpie and she flew away, piercing her black arc through the sky blue. An arrow points to you are here. This is okay. Chapter 1. The ward. Six bedded, much hospital paraphernalia. Corticosteroids, intravenous, wired. A white plastic pen from the bank that I use for checks, not my journaling pen. No use. Two books, new selected poems by Heaney and The Gift of Mindfulness. No use. Heavy astral night cream from a blue tub that I use on bikini line, not for face. No use. Vaseline that I use as an eyebrow dye barrier, strictly not for face. No use. Roger and Galais soap, Flor d'Osmantis au fraiche. Flowery, floral, way over the top, usually kept on show in downstairs loo. No use. Mac Ruby Woo lipstick, perfect, but a little drying. Joe Malone Rose Oud perfume, good. Three competing get well mum cards, too much. Blobfish slippers, aces. iPhone 4G, useful but patchy. Baby wipes, great. A picture of all of us at Santa's Grotto, fuck. Hospital is entirely recognisable if you are into Victorian dramas or prison break. In hospital, you are A, kept in, or B, let out. You're checked fastidiously, usually by the dinner bringers. You're tagged. Your clothes are removed, cut off, packed away, lost, stolen, or perhaps like me, you may arrive entirely naked off an ambulance with only a strapless wonder bra in the shaking hands of your husband. You no longer have a title, or hardly a name, and all recognisable connection to the past, aka the outside, disappears and is replaced by bright lights, chicken tikka with light mayo sandwiches in plastic triangular boxes, dark chocolate chipped cereal bars with cranberries, life-saving goji berry sprinkles on salads from the hospital shop, visitors sipping out of coffee cups, blowing their pursed lips into the tiny hole, the liquid never seeming to cool down, lots of family fighting, lots of TV shows in the visitors' rooms doing loud lie detector tests on people with bad teeth, lots of brown bags full to their necks with pyjamas and impractical fluffy slippers, some siggy breaks with copious amounts of bitching about doctors who gave the news too harshly, the doctors who gave the news too quickly, gave the news and left for coffee, and then, worst of all, those doctors who didn't give news at all. Conversations spawn. Now, hello, who do we have here? Are you on any medication? Have you anyone at home? Do you drink? How much on average? Ah, now. Come on. A week. Liver enzymes. Sharp scratch. Deep breath. Have you slippers? A bag? Perhaps you'd like a glass of water? Oh, we're so sorry we've no plastic glasses. Or water? No, no jugs either. No, sorry. You can buy water bottles in the hospital shop. No, sorry, no one has time to bring you there. It's only on the ground floor. Oh, yes, you're all lines. Well, maybe later. Morning, said Michael Povaski, as he walked briskly into the ward, cracking his pale knuckles into a tin fist. He checked his watch. Margaret Rose Sherlock was perched in the bed opposite me. Morning, she replied to Michael and threw an eye over the cover of Hello magazine. Michael Powaski 
passed out in my bed, I hope I'm saying that right, and busied himself fussing about Shane, no one caught a surname, my neighbour. Hello, Patrick Hegarty said. Morning, Mr. Heggs, Michael Pavasky replied, while tucking Shane's chin on top of his collarbone, using one bone off the other as leverage. Unfortunately, this left Shane's narrow mouth wide open like a delicate orchid. Michael then busied himself with wiping Shane's gaunt face vigorously with a blue washcloth. Ah, now good morning. You see, isn't it earlier all up and about? Jane Lohan said excitedly, to no one in particular, and stood out of bed, grabbing onto the window frame. A breeze billowed outside and Jane Lohan began a half pirouette with her arse cocked upwards. Claire Hegarty, the attentive daughter of Patrick Heggs Hegarty, sat directly opposite Shane on an elaborate letter visitor's chair and yawned silently while scanning the middle pages of the Irish Independent. She read out yesterday's parliamentary proceedings in Dáil Éireann to her father who began shaking his head while making disapproving noises. He was an awkward, rotund sort of man-child, balding, particularly hard to age and with a most peculiar sheen to his face. At first it had been difficult to be so close to other humans, the unreserved way of us, for the engineering of the human body is not, sadly, inclined to modesty during illness, contrary to my own best efforts. The rationale for not being given a private room, despite paying private health insurance, had been given to Alex upon my check-in, in many loud acronyms. Private rooms are only for the most serious infections. MRSA, GBA, GBH, HIV, CLAP, Strep, ABCD, Zika virus, ADD, EBD, DTS, ALP. Margaret Rose Sherlock put down hello and picked up her ebony rosary beads, glancing her good eye over Shane as she muttered some prayers, ending loudly with the agony in the garden. Then she closed down her good eye to match the bad one. Shane's Wi-Fi connect? Question mark. Nice one. Come on, Shane. April Fool's Day headlines. Hulu promises TV abbreviated to match our shortening attention spans. Amazon launches Pet Lexa, guaranteed to read your cat's requests. Shane was recovering from a heart top, returning to the ward after a couple of nights in ICU. He had shattering paralysis after dancing off his bike at high speed on the greasy Galway to Dublin M6 surface some years back after it first opened. Everyone fussed around him, plugging in his MacBook, popping in his peg feeds. No visitors, just some enable Ireland interns and a banana board with a smiley emoji face. Now, now, we'll have you fixed in no time, Shane. Everyone lift and groan and again. Now, fixed. In no time. And did you hear? Lift and down. Lift and lift again. Count. Fixed in no time. And now I'll have to work with us, Shane. Want anything in the shop, love? No. Okay. Come on. Lift and turn. And lift. Oh. Oh. And burst. Down. Please. Pseudo cream, please. Margaret Rose Sherlock had had a stroke, most likely. Her bloods were a little wayward. She had further and more pressing complications from a wanker husband who had abandoned her and was now missing in action with Bernie, his long-term mistress. Usually it was only a day or two at most, but Margaret Rose hadn't been able to locate the exact coordinates of Paddy for some weeks now and she'd been unable to persuade him to return home. Ordinarily, she'd be relieved with the break and had become used to it over the years of their marriage, adept at passing off his absence as family business. But her second youngest daughter, Nikita, was soon to be married and getting tetchy about her father's absence. Nikita Sherlock was, in fact, beginning to panic, for her betrothed Jonathan O'Keefe was getting impatient and developing a habit for looking at young ones of the Lally family. 
Margaret Rose Sherlock had a rose gold Nokia on which she conducted her business. She couldn't make or take a call without a considered amount of pre-planning the bathroom's vacancy. Alternatively, for some peace and quiet, she'd dive under the hospital's white bedsheet and chat away under there where she could still be heard perfectly. Jane Lohan appeared on the surface to be rather genteel. She had some form of dementia, peppered with the oddest moments of intense lucidity, followed by any manner of madness, often manifesting in bizarre physical moves. She was sprightly and agile for a woman in her 80s, but seemed all alone in the world, despite claiming a large family of nine grown-up children and a husband, Tom, for whom she appeared to care, on a practical level, and an unnamed dog that she loved most in the world. Hospital is street, with its odd, old, sumptuary laws. A place to score. You scavenge for razors, shower gel, coffee, a diagnosis that makes sense, and the most sought after of all, a care plan. On the ward, you scored off the care assistant, Michael Povaski. How's your wife, Michael? Margaret Rose asked. Oh, is tired, tired, Michael said, rushing about with a heavy load of soiled sheets. I need to give her tea and put her feet up and fix her before I leave, see? He began lifting my lines, then stood me up, helping me out of my wet leggings. I smelled his morning's coffee. Stale. And then she is shouting. Michael threw his tin arms up to the air. She is now all the time shouting at Michael. Michael, I need help. Stay home, Michael. What if baby comes and I here alone and you in that big hospital with people giving them tea? What about me, Michael, and your baby? Make tea for me, Michael Povaski. Jane Lohan began screeching as she pulled a cannula from her tin wrist. Blood sprayed upwards and forwards like my son's urine when he stood up for the first time in the garden and peed, proudly. Michael abandoned me as I tried with some difficulty to pull a t-shirt over my head. What you gone and done now, now, good Janie? Ah, all she wants is perhaps make baby come quicker, quicker, always wanting baby to come quicker, he said over his shoulder. I mean, what is the rush, huh? Why should we rush baby? But Carolina as well, thank you, thank you. Mind very fat and swollen on the ankles. I licked up to Michael because Margaret Rose told me his cheap coffee worked to open the bowels and give you an energy surge. He also had an uncanny way with doctors, making them divulge things, as he was neither apologetic nor shy and he didn't read social cues very well, which gave him accidental power. Welcome to the ward. Named after a saint. Female. French. Five of us. And Claire. Hysterical after Magpie, the next morning I had driven into town, skidded on the pavement outside my office and left a wing mirror around a children crossing sign. I ran in and out. Breathless. The offices were barely recognisable. I don't know if I met anyone. I think back and imagine that surely I must have passed out the receptionist, Marta, or the guy who does all the design and layout. And I don't know, did I look in the frosted glass at my accountant, Liam? But I don't remember it. Except that the walls seemed to hang down over the desks or that the ceiling had fallen in some feet. I filled my arm cradle with a map of Bulgaria, brown envelopes, an open sheaf of A4 paper, two dried-up yellow highlighter pens, three dark pearl-green tampons, a box of fruity tea, a protein bar, salted caramel, a ream of paper, and a wasted tube of Clarence hand cream. In over ten years, I'd never left the offices for longer than a hiatus to look at high-risk properties abroad and the obligatory ten-day all-inclusive where my anxiety would reach peak fucked up. Later that week, I let everyone know that I was stepping aside for a while. 
weekly updates, but I was to be left alone. Alex was thrilled. Finally, a break. Time out. Mindfulness. Me time. And we had some bubbly to celebrate that I threw down the loo. I didn't know how to tell him. I didn't plan to go into private industry. I didn't dream about it as a kid lying awake at night listening to the pigs squealing outside or the bitch whining when her pups were taken from her or the cows cawing out for their calves. I don't know if I enjoyed buying properties or selling them more, but there was a certain rush, dividing rooms into smaller livable options, and it was what I knew. I understood something about organising bricks on land and it made me deeply satisfied. There was something ferocious in covering over the earth until you could no longer see it forgetting they ever existed. They're not making any more of it. Land. Father would say, cursing and muttering under his breath. That's no job for a woman. This made me even more determined and wild in my decisions. Eventually, even Alex grumbled about it. At first, it was the lack of time I had for him. But then it was something worse. Something more direct about my choices. And in turn, something more direct about me. You're not who I married, he'd go on. I thought you wanted to own a farm and make cheese or do something useful, for that was my original promise. When will it be enough? How much is enough? Until the I don't even know who you are anymore exasperation set in. Alex and I learned, in time, to stop asking awkward questions about each other's days. And if we did, in a tick box way, we chose topics with neutral buoyancy. He'd fill me in on Jacob's spelling tests, doctor visits, braces... Nathan's cat obsession, dinosaur films, karate belts, Christmas lists, Joshua's play dates, swimming strokes, trampoline prowess. I'd fill him in on office politics, chit-chat. Aside from the children, food and drink produce took up a decent chunk of conversation time. Fitbits, weighing scales, vacuum cleaners, deep freeze, potted plants, Sunday lunch spots, bathroom fixers, passive housing, a greener way of living. Can a house ever be passive? Car services, winter coats, winter tyres, his mother done neither neutral nor buoyant. Netflix, soccer transfers, almond milk, cutting down on bacon, cutting down on dairy, cutting down on sugar, cutting down on one-use plastic, taking up yoga, too slow, taking up Bikram, too hot. We need to make time for each other. We do. Tomorrow. Promise. Hotel. No. Awkward hotel sex. Printer ink. Apple trees. Our daughter would be nine now, tucked in between Nathan and Jacob. Alex never speaks about her. Before landing on the ward, I hinted about her the odd time, usually when I was drunk, but that rarely went anywhere for he'd shut me out, mostly by leaving the room or heading out on his bike. I tried dropping her name in here and there, but even I'd begun acting as if she hadn't existed either, only ever inside of me, and there's a tight rein on language we use for events that go on inside the body, especially inside your uterus, to the extent that sometimes I wonder, did I imagine her, dream her up, alone? Confinement is such a mad, liminal place. Dreamlike. Nightmarish. At the beginning of the week on the ward, Alex was easily convinced I had respiratory failure caused by a nasty infection which had lingered for months. Hence all the Nina drama. Alex liked to believe what I told him. It was an efficient way to coexist and not go mad. He expressed most concern for the awful hospital coffee and offered to rig up an espresso machine on my nightstand until we were all back to normal. He loved normal. He had packed my bag and also perched a photo of us all at Santa's Grotto on the hospital nightstand, a large laminate thing that beamed and was flimsy beside a wicker basket that once belonged to my mother. In the picture we look happy, holding plastic flutes of mulled wine and the children with paper pots of marshmallows and strawberries dribbled over with warm chocolate. 
And though he was upset at first that the children couldn't visit, I countered it by saying I'd be terrified they'd contract the same woeful hack as myself. And begrudgingly he agreed. Though I refused the coffee machine, as I think espressos are for bellends that drive land rovers in cities and eat avocados with poached eggs and turmeric. New mail. Ping. Inbox. Seven ways to boost your metabolism. You're not getting out of bed. You should lie down. Lie down. Good. Do you want me to take you somewhere? Michael asked me. One. Power up a protein. Where? Wherever you like. Oh, but it's so rattling. So not good. You need to sit up or get some air. My, my, it would worry me if my chest was as rattling as yours. It did worry me. Two. Fuel up with water. Let her be, Margaret Rose said. She isn't even fit for a walk to the loo. She motioned at me to lay back on my pillow as she took a few deep breaths, encouraging me to imitate her. Three, go on top while having sex and work those abdominal muscles. Margaret Rose began another decade of the rosary as she picked up her phone and squinted at the screen, and then dropped it down hard on the table tray, anxiously awaiting some communication. She repeated the action. Four, park away from your destination. Walk a little. Cardio surge. Work the heart. When I was a kid, I tied a grocery shop plastic bag in a crude knot at the nape of my neck, tight. I held a pen in my hand to see how long I could withstand it, before I'd need to stab it and take in air quickly like the junkie scenes on Casualty, pen through windpipe. Bang. It grabbed my mother's attention for the day. She banned me from watching Casualty. Five. Drink iced water every hour. I watched as our nurse, Molly Zane, changed incontinence pads and injected my ward friends. Their shadowy grey hips stacked on top of each other. Milk udder catheters. Black eyes. Rasping chests. Hollowed out shoulders. Six. Eat raw chilies. Remember to wash your hands afterwards. I crouched in the tiny bathroom with its infinite London tube-like tiling and inspected myself all over. Ravenous to find something. A sign that would show people my sickness without me having to explain. Without having to case it in language. Something outward and obvious, like a kid with a Finding Nemo elastoplast on his knee. I found one resilient tiny V-shaped tea stain of fake tan on my right ankle. Otherwise, I was a washed watercolour hanging in a cheap hotel. All white and purple. The skin barely covering my bones. Streaks of new blue bruises from the lines ran up my arms. I wished I had put on a fresh layer of tan. Even just run one of those wipes over me, like I do on my ankles and wrists in winter. That would have done. 7. Masturbate and build good muscle definition in upper arms. Rigid. I was delayed once, outside a gaudy apartment block, waiting for some Irish kids to wake up from their sun holiday piss-up. The white tour bus revved and choked on its fumes. A group of women were turning wank tricks for loose coins before Ryanair could get them for charity or lotto cards. The women ushered their prey behind a scattering of ugly dragon trees. The men were lured by their own devilish blood sap. A promise. Like how bright orange seed pods would burst open on the tree branches. They'd returned to the cracked pink pavement, with weeds shooting up between the slabs, disorientated slash relieved, zipping up their fly the way men do, lifting their torso up and exaggerating a double chin. Some ran out bewildered, catching their bollocks in the zipper. The women squeezed short darts of bottled mineral water over the arch of their hand, just where the tom attaches itself to the pointer finger, and continued their chats with each other over the sound of crickets and wet skin being slapped like a chicken fillet before frying. I thought about returning soon, and so I did, and I bought an old house there, gutted it, and rented it out at some tattoo parlours and a large nail bar. A stethoscope lay in the basket, abandoned by a young intern in a bleeper hurry. I listened to my own chest. Heard my heartbeat, 
heart beat. Beat. Wafting from the nightstand came the smell of lavender from the mouldy basket. My mother was always reusing things. It started out as days, not telling Alex the news. At first the words didn't come, nor did I attempt to form them. I needed more time to figure out the language. But this had lingered for months in the way time does. Eight months since Magpie. When I listened to my heart beating, pain shot through the soles of my feet, electrical energy sizzling up through my shins. It was like fish angrily nibbling at my feet, Gararufus or the like. And then a few cheap Chinese foot eaters started to savage me. You shouldn't listen to your heartbeat, beast. And especially not the heartbeat, beast, of your in utero child. It sounds like the kids on speed. My daughter made no sound at all. Not one. Not one small gallop stride babies make inside you. Nurse. No. Cold jelly. All chat. Bit of cold. No. There. No chat. Cold jelly. Wipe jelly. Silence. They warn you about the cold jelly more than any part of pregnancy or motherhood. Perhaps because we're awkward with truths or because we can put language on discomfort that's rather painless. Cold jelly. Sand in your socks. But of course, the worse the pain, the sparser language becomes until eventually we pulverise it. Language. And are left with only our pain. Alone. The midwife moved the heartbeat prong around, pushing down hard. I heard gurgling as I had eaten a bar of Turkish delight. I hadn't been feeling movement and when I'd googled it, I'd said to relax, try a little sugar. The baby should start to flap soon after with the energy surge, like a butterfly inside, the nurse said at first. Does it feel like a butterfly? Can you feel anything at all? And she was saying, oh now, come on, where are you hiding? When was the last time you felt something? Can you remember the time? Maybe last night? Perhaps after dinner? Or this morning? Anything? No. Okay. That's okay. We'll double check with a scan. Double check. It feels like nothing. I can't feel anything. I screamed. It feels like fucking nothing. Nothing. Next, a radiographer arrived and moved another bigger prong around on my belly, over and back, tracing my fallopian tubes in and out, pushing on my full bladder, the window to the baby, she said. Under her arms were getting wet a creeping pattern crawling along her blue scrubs, making two navy patches. I remember she was Welsh because I love a Welsh accent and she said apologetically, now where are you hiding? And so I immediately began apologising for screaming and then took to apologising for lots of things, eating the lovely chocolate and apologising for reading my book until there was very little left to apologise for except a dirty cubicle curtain and she apologised for this and we were all apologies. Until the prong was pushed down on my pubic bone, hard, and I apologised for the bone and she apologised for hitting off it. Then a doctor arrived swiftly and took the prong up and off my belly, placing it back in the claw of the machine. I'd failed. Again. And he didn't contradict me. I wanted it out. Now. I begged Miss Welch to please just get it out now, but she had lost her voice and was rubbing my forearm up and down. Please, I can't bear it. But then the doctor interrupted and muttered something about spontaneous and labour. As though, together, we would waterfall her out. It's dead, I screamed, but he wouldn't listen. All in its own good time, he said, as if I was an ageing barrel of whiskey. A cask. 
I picked up my book as the jelly was getting sticky on my belly and I thought of myself as an utter cunt. It was disgraceful to have eaten such a large bar of chocolate just moments before I knew my child was dead. The pink sweetness made its way back up my food pipe to goad me. I had thought the sugar would make her squirm and wriggle and wake her up and discharge myself from this fuck of a place once I knew some movement. I said something like this, but no one listened. Then I vomited, and Ms. Welch said she was so very sorry for my vomiting. Or my vomit. I think you're just a very weak child, and the nose running on you again. Wipe it up, you Amadon. My book was James and the Giant Peach, Joshua's copy. It was dog-eared and wet as he was far too young to read anything properly, preferring to suck pages. I was alone in the room then. You get in a lawn room with a couch and a telephone and no TV when you have a dead baby inside you. Just when you need a distraction, they leave you all alone with a telephone. You can't call anyone at that moment because they'd shower you with advice about trying again, even with the dead inside you. God is good. What's for you won't pass you. God is good. God, I wonder what happened. Did you wash windows? That can sometimes kill them. Did you eat shellfish? God is good. Did you rub a cat? God is so over fucking rated. Myself and contents and the two ants, Spiker and Sponge, were all rolled up fetal in the bed. Howling. That's what they called it now. Contents. And they didn't probe it or talk to it with their useless machine now that the machine no longer answered back. How terrific it would be to escape to the middle of a peach, right into the core where a brown stone sits heavy waiting to come out. Waiting. No heartbeat. Never listen. Nothing is real before you hear its sound. And just like that, I lost my daughter. As though I wasn't fit to mind her. As though I had left her down at the Salmon Weir Bridge or behind barbecues in Woody's or at a train station. Lost. I lost her. The heart is for a doctor and a Valentine's card. Alex had a mouse-like heart murmur. Though I must confess, I've never actually listened to the heart of a mouse with a stethoscope. But once, full to his fat chin on poison I'd laid down, one sat in my hot press, ever so bloated, and I watched his big heart beating to the rhythm of his tiny breaths. He was perched on a white and silver, just engaged XXX towel, and he died like this, staring back at me with his pretty beady eyes. I buried him in the towel, underneath the Lelandi trees in the back garden. Proficient as I was at killing and burying little things of great beauty. Fuck, man. I know. But like, seriously, we are so over and we need to take a break um, to collect ourselves, if nothing else. So hold on for a few, you guys, and we will be right back with more Chicklet for Life. Do not go anywhere. We see you. Opening yet another package your feed insisted would change your life. Finding that the plug is only suitable for use in Japan. That the medium is really a children's medium. That it survives the dishwasher cycle, but also managed to dissolve the mugs your mom bought you as a housewarming gift. Well, we at DUC Instagram and TikTok and Recovery are here to help. We too have been affected by ill-fitting Instagram bras and bikinis made with so much plastic they generate their own electric field. We too know the pain of 12-week wait times for humidifiers that can only hold a thimbleful of water at best. We are here for you. Because we are you. 
Let's support each other in this long fight against our preloaded PayPal password. DUC Instagram and TikTok ad recovery services is a nonprofit organization and is not affiliated with any other programs. The views expressed in DUC ITARS meetings are those of the members present and not of DUC or its associated services. DUC ITARS are not liable for Instagram ad relapse or related repossession of goods, bankruptcy, or thumb loss. This does not affect your statutory rights. Like, why would it affect your statutory rights, you, I was just about to ask the same thing. Like, maybe with the whole, like, if you're still buying stuff online, but, like, you were entitled to return it, and, like, it wasn't a compulsive thing. Like, like the item was, like, properly broken. Pretty tin search. Oh, no, like, I'm totally just basing this on junior cert business studies and, like, what I can remember of it. Like, seriously, doll girls, like, between Sheen and Yes Doll. Like, you cannot order fast fashion stuff, Chloe. You are actively killing turtles by, like, doing that. Oh, my God, Katie, I literally haven't ordered anything in two weeks. It takes forever to get here and it never fits my boobs properly. Okay, well, at least your boobs have a conscience, man. I mean, you're giving it to me about this. You're saying I can't fly to Vegas to see my boys. Oh, you do. You not have the money to go to Vegas first of all. What, well, like besides that? And you didn't get tickets. Well, I mean, if my mom would give me the 10 grand, I could buy one on resale, Katie. I mean, like, how is that any different to you going to the cinema again to watch the Vegas show like you did for the Soul show a couple of weeks ago? Okay. I am going to pretend you did not say that. Well, like, oh. you'd be so far back that you'd basically just be watching the screen. Like, just watch the live stream. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. First of all. Like, do, do, we, do we really need more of this? How <laughs> dare you, Sarah O'Neill? <laughs> you could legitimately take up the whole show talking about this, man. Girls, I do need my own show talking about Chunky Gil Pan, how dreamy he is. Like, that is true. I do need that. Like, do you, like, do you really, man? Like you didn't fall out your chair, Katie Morphy, when we were in the cinema when Sugar blew that kiss at the camera. Like, don't you sit there, Katie Morphy. Don't you sit there and tell me you weren't looking down Nam Juni up as short during Black Swan. I know you were. I saw you. We did see you, Katie. <laughs> Like, at least I didn't scream out loud when Jin did the greeting with the song kiss situation. Hey, I have absolutely no feelings of shame about that whatsoever. I am happy with my choices. Does that include the choice to allow this whole tangent to continue? Oh, oh, called out, Kleena. Oh, God, ouch. so fierce. Oh. Ah, Kleena, my God. I have never been this attracted to you, Kleena. That's a lie. <gasps> oh, the day of the lamb shank. Oh, I remember. I remember. You raised that excellent point, Kleena. <gasps> You're such a catch. Like. It's true. It's true. I'm quite the eligible young bogger. And yeah, speaking of eligible bo- boggers. No, it doesn't work. Sure, it doesn't. No, it's... Uh, you can tell we're getting like towards the end of the series. Like your, your segue game is suffering. Segway fatigue is real, Sarah. I feel so seen, you guys. <laughs> but like... The book, you know, oh, we yeah. just, we read the excerpt there. <laughs> we, I, whatever. Um, but like, yeah, being, being ill like that, like, it's just crazy. Like, that's, that's the, the thing that obviously, like, you can't get away from it in the book. But like, that idea of like, your reality just completely changing overnight. Like. Like that was ju- that was the most and is just the most terrifying thing. Like I, I kind of don't know. Like I've been thinking about it 
like a ton and like isn't it like kind of weirdly supportive that like like you're putting loads of pressure on yourself to do things and it could be taken away out of nowhere and it wouldn't even be your fault so like you kind of don't have to succeed like not really what because you might die like that's a bit fucked clean whoa no 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 no. buddhist monks do spend a certain amount of time every day contemplating their own death like to add i don't know context to everything we do here and now like as much as we feel like the stuff we've got going on is the most important thing in the world like it genuinely could change out of nowhere like you say please so like so say like when my dad was sick i hear seriously i wasn't saying that no 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 no, and i didn't hear it like that but like but like the thing is all of the exchanges on the ward and just uh, i don't know just how everyone is with each other like it was exactly the same when my dad was waiting for his first biopsy. Like, he was moved around from ward to ward, and there were so many, like... Like, say, when he got referred for a chest x-ray after um, a chest infection, and he was moved to this ward where these old guys were all there. I think there was, like, four of them all together. And they were all so, so, so lovely. But, like, like it was rough. Like, the bedpan fever. Oh, oh my. What? <gasps> oh no! And I felt so bad because like what else are these 80 year old men going to do? But like, oh my god, you guys, it was so horrible. It was like it was it was so horrible. And then and then this Russian guy came in. I I think he was Russian. Um, and he didn't speak any English. So, like, no one could, like, understand uh, anything he was saying. But, like, couldn't get his, his his family on the phone or anything. Like, the doctors found someone from the canteen eventually that could translate for them. Just that is a bit like the book. And the thing is, too, like, all of Sinead's sort of, like avoidant behaviors like the compulsive googling and going down search engine holes like that was literally what I spent the first like two weeks doing just googling different things and planning with my mom and Astrid and Tig what we were going to do like it was it was so weird like we weren't really in our usual life like it's like we were in this weird film or something where everything was going way too fast but also like way too slow at the same time Jesus, man. But, like, the thing is, it was only like that until we knew what we were dealing with. Like, as soon as Dad got diagnosed and he was given his treatment plan, we were fine. Like, we knew what we were doing. Sure, he had to get chemo and that sucked. But, like, we had a plan, you know? It it was that gross, what's going to happen today in this weird holding pen for humans feeling that was just so horrible. Yeah, like, that's what it seemed like that's what it felt like reading the book exactly and like that's kind of what I'm saying like it's so accurate like I actually felt kind of the same sort of madness you feel when you're there like I remember one day I said to the gentleman on the ward that I'd pick someone up a paper um and like I I said to them that I'd buy it for them or whatever they didn't have any money in with them and like when I came back up with it they split it into the different sections and like passed it out so they could all have a read like like Sinead is saying like the ward is where you score like that is 100% my experience being there with dad I thought it was really cool that like the women in the ward had like way more of an impact than the men. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, like Margaret Rose was like not to be fucked with. Oh my god, she was so like my nanny Nolan girls. Okay, like Margaret Rose was like kind of a force of nature situation, but like your nanny Nolan is 
terrifying, Chloe. Like, they're not the same. Oh, you have not seen Nanny with her favourites. Yeah, but that's kind of the thing about Margaret Rose, right? Like, everybody in her family seems to be her favourite. Like, even, to an extent, her dick husband off banging his side piece. Uh, she don't even like him, K.E. She just guessed that she's running the family organisation in it. And, like, all them young ones and young fellas being all in with her when she in the hospital with flowers and all. Tenor says she don't see them for five minutes together when she's at home, yeah? Bet you aunt and she put herself in the hospital for a rest and to, like, get everybody's attention so they'd fucking listen to her for a second so like so like you're saying your nanny nolan would like make herself sick to manipulate people into doing shit no no nanny's more your straight up intimidation type wet tea towels sweeping brushes the hilver she threw one of her nebulizer cans at me uncle neil on one time like, she missed, but, like, the infant to Prague hasn't been the same since. Uh, good luck to smash the infant to Prague up every now and again. Yeah, that's what Nanny says. <laughs> well, like, like, did you guys not think Margaret Rose was, like, really controlling and stuff, like, with her daughter? We need to be careful here about spoilers, Kay. Well, yeah, but, like, so, so, yeah, so... Margaret Rose's daughter, Nikita, is, like, getting married, and she ends up in, like, a quandary... And she, like, comes to her mom for help and, like, her mom just kind of sorts it all out, like, on her own, like, without talking to Nikita at all. But, like, isn't that what Nikita was kind of asking for? Like, she went to her mom because her mom would know what to do. So her mom took charge and sorted it out. Like, that's, that's what parents are supposed to do. Like, good ones. Right? Like, against the child's will? It wasn't against her will, though. She agreed, didn't she? Yeah, but, like, Margaret Rose didn't know that when she made the decision. Like, that's really fucking cold and, like, disrespectful, man. Isn't Nikita, like, super young, though? She's not younger than us, man. Like, why is no one else mad about this? Katie, if she'd gone the other way on it, you'd be just as horrified. Like, you're just genuinely looking for things to be pissed off about right now. Like I said, people be running the family organisation with the tools at their disposal like that could be manipulation and it could be the threat of being whipped with a tea towel both are equally effective <laughs> no man you can't joke about this like it's not okay for people to live through their kids like margaret rose seems to want to set it up so nikita doesn't end up in the same spot as she did but that's a good thing katie you were like fucking ask man yeah yeah but but like that kind of seems to be sort of a main point of the book though like people well men and women who have been like crushed by like the system by by the male system you know and and men have been affected by it too but like them then wanting to live through others and squash them into shapes that doesn't suit them it just it seems to be how yeah kind of patriarchal and and like and like i don't know oppressive systems turn people into weird versions of themselves that then in turn hurt other people like say jane <gasps> oh, oh, I love jane, so jane lohan is life that's all i'm saying <laughs> like you can't even let saoirse have her reaction like, don't you fucking start with me <laughs> looking at jane got lucky <laughs> katie old and yeah and dealing with dementia and like and like the more we see her kind of the more erratic she kind of seems but like the main thing that kind of really defines her is the fact that she's like 
completely alone. Like she's she's been like abandoned. And it's like super weird. She's been married since forever and has like nine kids, but there's no sign of any of them. But like, yeah, this is the thing. So so Jane, we learn a bit about Jane over her time in the ward. And like, so it turns out that Jane was forced to leave somebody she genuinely loved and marry someone else because her family pretty much says that she has to. And she has all these children with this man that was, like, really, really cruel to her. And, like, none of the children have stayed in touch with her, except for one daughter that's minding her husband at home, who also now has dementia. And, like, it's just... Obviously, that was a really tense, maybe abusive home to grow up in and 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 now everybody's just kind of on their own even though it's a group of like 11 people that are like tied together except except nice like yeah like with Jane's story I thought maybe I thought maybe it was kind of a look at why parents that are unhealthy in their relationships with their kids or that are maybe even abusive like why that might happen in some cases like you sort of think that people who are abusive to their partner or to their children that they're just they're just bad people there's no reason for the way they are the way they are other than like evil but with Jane's situation there were just she and her husband were both so unhappy and it just seems to it would make sense that it just comes out in ways that affected everybody in their family like like she was properly in love with someone else and that someone else was taken from her and that someone else was also forced to marry someone else and then then there was just the business with the mother and baby home which is just ugh Oh, the most horrible thing in the world. Yeah, yeah, and I guess the implication is that it's the Chum mother and baby home. Yeah, I started reading about that after the book and I, I had to stop. It's just, it's so gross. Yeah, well, I mean, not to traumatize you further, clearly, if you want to put your fingers in your ears, please do. Um, but yeah, for, for non-Irish folks listening, um, the mother and baby home we're, we're talking about is um, a type of accommodation that was put in place for, for unwed mothers in Ireland um, that started operating in the 18th century, actually, and um, were still in operation up until like super recently. Um, there were, I think, the last Magdalene Laundry, which is kind of a, a, an associated institution. Um, I think the last one closed in like 1992 or 1996 or something. It was bleh, super gross. But they were institutions run by various orders of nuns in Ireland to house, yeah, fallen women, women who had fallen pregnant outside of, of marriage. But like, they were basically like prison workhouses. Like people were held malnourished, overworked, mistreated, you name it, they did it. Um... But what makes the Chewham mother and baby home special is um, it had closed, I think, at this point. But in um, the date I have here is 1975. Two boys were were playing um, in a field near near the home and they found a hole filled with children's skeletons. Um and they told the closest adults they could find um, who made the, the very grown up decision to get a priest 
um, who blessed the grave and left it where it was. Um, and that's that's all that happened with it um, until 2012. Uh, a local historian, um, Catherine Corliss, um, legend, uh, began looking into the deaths recorded at the home and where they had been buried. And um, she found that only two documented deaths out of almost 800, all children, um, from the home um, that had been recorded as as having died. Only two of them had been buried in graveyards. Um, the rest of them, 798 children, had been buried in that hole found in 1975, which um, was later found out to be the septic tank for the hole, or uh, for the for the home. Yeah, so so. Yeah, that's that's what they did with with the dead kids. Um, And it wasn't just there in 2010. um, The bodies of 222 children from Bethany home, um, another maternity home, were found in another mass uh, grave in Dublin. So way to go, Catholicism. I swear I will never get used to hearing that. The fucking church, man. They have a lot to answer for, all right? Like, they were given money. Like, that's the thing. The state gave these institutions money for all of the people housed there. Like, where did that money go? Like, Rome? Like, vestments? <laughs> Tabernacles? I want to know. <laughs> like, you're better off not thinking about oh, it, Like, man. it's so fucked. Like, we genuinely need to talk about it. Like, well, like, I mean, aside from the deeply disturbing fact that you remember what a tabernacle is, like, <laughs> Katie is not like... Like, the church has, like, a stranglehold on Irish society, like, nowadays. Uh, you have to fucking get your kids christened because most of the schools are, like, still run by religious organizations. Yeah, yeah, I actually still struggle with that. Like, I'm kind of hopeful that we'll have gotten rid of all the religious schools by the time, like, we have kids, but, like... But- like, what will people even, like, do in sixth class if they're not colouring in pictures of the bishop for their confirmation? Like, oh my god, that was, like, all of sixth class. Yeah. Oh yeah, like, labelling all the shit he carries around with him. <laughs> do you remember what the sticky holes is called, Clina? Uh, it's a crozier, <laughs> yeah, Chloe. Crozier. Everybody knows that. <laughs> That's true, I should have picked a harder one. I <laughs> genuinely can't believe this is happening right now. Don't you even stop. There, Katie Morphy, I will sing the Apostle song. Oh. No, she'll do it, man. Don't go to her. Like, mm-hmm. She's not good. There was Peter, Ron, Andrew, James, and John. James, the last son, his brother, Jude. There was Philip, and Bartholomew. <laughs> Unacceptable. <laughs> but, but no, back, we should talk about the book. Um, oh, oh, gosh. Like, the, thing, the thing is, um, Sinead's just yeah Sinead she's just there yeah in the middle of everything happening with with everyone else in the war just reliving her own trauma like does she like gain any closure or like is that even like possible is is she jealous of Margaret Rose's family or is she like judgmental of them it's really hard to kind of tell yeah yeah and like it all seems to kind of stem from like her own childhood and like the abuse that she picked up at home was like no joke. Yeah, and like, yeah, being told that you're weak and like not good for anything simply because you're a woman, I I do think that that's more common than you'd think. And like, not even just because you're a woman. um, What? What do you mean, Clay? Well, like, like this 
this has been coming up a lot in like the meetings I go to and stuff. Like a lot of people seem to have a similar situation as I do with like my dad. Like, do you think he's gone get his drinking under control? Like, oh, like, dude, you are never going to learn. I swear. What? I was just asking a question. Like, like, uh, like it's it's uh, like it's n- kind of nothing to do with me. Like. Daddy'll get himself sorted when and like if that's right for him, but like that's not even the point of what we talk about in those meetings. Like we don't even talk about drinking. Like it's more like about the craziness that you're kind of like you're you're kind of being around chaos like all the time, and like I don't know. It just seems like a lot of people in the meetings that have a similar situation to mine, a lot of their parents seem to see their children as, I don't know, like extensions of themselves or something. How do you mean? Like, like, like kind of like they see their children as like a way for them to achieve things they couldn't or like, act in ways that they couldn't or do things that they couldn't like like to be a better version of them out there in the world or something and to do that you have to be exactly the same as them you know and want the same things and do the same things and and like you fall short or you're just different you know and and then they can't handle it and they take it upon themselves to point out sometimes pretty forcefully like where it is you're going wrong well from my experience I mean at least they're kind of not ignoring you I think I'd take being ignored over being actively taunted ah your dad wouldn't be like that would he do you know what my dad did for me when I got into college uh first person on either side of the family to go to college um and to celebrate he bought me and wrapped it up you know really really nicely um Four cans of Prosky. Uh, he said I uh, needed to start the student life as I meant to continue. But like, was that not just a joke? Like, well, I mean, isn't a joke usually like followed by the actual present or celebration or whatever? I mean, this was the, the whole the whole situation. And it was quite the production. Like someone from uh, from the pub, one of his mates uh, was down and took a photo of me opening it. Um, still at home somewhere. And yeah, when I uh, went on upstairs, um, they were both shouting after me that I'd want to grow a sense of humour if uh, the dubs were going to have any time for me uh, when I came up here. So, so yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, that, that is, that's, that's pretty shit, man. And like, that's so mild compared to what Sinead goes through, like... So I kind of get her leaving and not going back, you know, and like even the whole property developer thing, like because her dad was a farmer and stuff, the idea of her doing something that eats up land and renders it like unusable, except to live on like that's, that's kind of, yeah, interesting that she'd want to cover over where she came from. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit of a fuck you. All right. And like in fairness, like it doesn't seem like her dad is like the type to help her 
out financially or like look out for her or whatever she obviously like needs to sort out her own security and stuff she gets that she can't rely on other people for support so like if anything other people are going to come to her looking for support they're going to come to her for answers and and work and help and stuff I don't I don't really know what you mean by that like Sinead's a lot of things but um supportive isn't really a word that comes to mind no like kind of practically and financially and stuff like in in a control kind of way taking control of situations and like making things happen like I assume she kind of had it hanging over her the whole time she was growing up and on her way out of home that like she was eventually going to be like responsible for her dad and stuff so like she'd need to have the money and space that she need in order to like look after him when he's too old oh my god i hate that feeling it's so fucking scary what you used to be thinking about that taking care of the folks like yeah you don't I'm fucking 19 sarah i don't know how to take care of my makeup brushes let alone my parents yeah we're we're kind of not old enough to think about that right now yeah like it's not a thing you guys oh my god says the girl living on actual walton's fucking mountain with an army of older siblings dude like you're the youngest your brother is older than you what derek (laughs) i fully expect to be paying bail several times on his account over the next 15 years and no i don't have a problem with that being on air ass air do you don't mean that fucking dude that chick he's banging yesterday yesterday right she comes downstairs and shows me the necklace d's after giving her for her birthday the silver necklace my godmother gave me before she went to India. He obviously took it out of my jewellery box. Like, what? Uh, like, seriously, like, me not wearing something for a while means I'm obviously inviting D to gift it to his human cock warmer. Also but, fine with that being on air, girls. But, like, dude, like, I get that you're hurt and everything, but, like, she might be a really nice girl. Like, she's not in on it. Like, he's the asshole. Like, don't... That's not fair. Yeah, like, I mean, I love it. But it's kind of too mean when, you know, we don't know her and stuff. W- would you prefer I called one of your sisters a tramp? Yeah. Oh. None of that. Okay. The only one that's allowed to give out about them little bollocks is me. Okay. <laughs> They'll be TikTok millionaires and I'll be on their yacht having a dance off with Drake while JK Pat cheers me on from the sidelines. Okay. Just watch who you calling names. All right. <laughs> Bitches that be calling my sister's names aren't going to be flying first class. All right. Do you <laughs> call them more names than anybody? Yes. But I mean, try to keep up here, Katie. They steal my ring light for their videos. They receive the necessary funds for their unboxing nonsense from me their older sister the OG Kylie and Grace Cullen Incorporated Investor alright technically I'm on the board right now technically I am the fucking board uh, the sideboard oh, oh dude that's, that's weak Katie um, but I mean it is really sad that all oh, of this work huh. ethic and like protecting herself oh, <laughs> means that Sinead can't be vulnerable you know thank you Saoirse you got off easy Katie Morphine <laughs> genuinely is the case and like it really endangers her marriage <gasps> oh my god like and Alex was so like normal I know he's so sweet like, how could you not tell your bloke that you're that sick like I don't know ah would you give over Saoirse like you spend all your time together like like my ma's a pain in the arse yeah but like there's no way I'd be able to go around here like oh no I'm just losing loads of weight for no reason oh yeah I can't run fast no more oh yeah I'm in hospital for weeks and I've no explanation like she just 
fucking know and I wouldn't be able to not talk about it. You're not able to not talk about anything. Like, you have sent me a grand total of 25 messages about JK's tiny black swan crop top. No, but why? Why was that his outfit during fake love, Katie? It was so short that barely gave any ab clearance. Why am I in charge of the set list? Like, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> like, every day. But every like, day. But, like, I remember when my dad was sick. Like, I didn't want to tell anybody. Because of, like judgment or something no no oh god no 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 no. like sort of more the opposite like all of a sudden i'd be like dad has cancer girl and and not me anymore like there'd be all of this oh my god keeping me in my prayers oh sending you so many hugs god closes the door and opens the window blah blah fucking blah like shove your thoughts and prayers somewhere useful like i'm not here (laughs) to make you feel better about yourself or like give you something to like gossip about when i walk away Jesus. But like, do you not think there's something like really self-serving in all of those platitudes? Like people saying, oh, thinking of you. Like, are they actually fucking thinking of me enough to like donate to cancer research or, you know, come around and fucking cook me dinner because I haven't eaten anything that wasn't a takeaway in two weeks? Like, you know, or like, you know, help a homeless person or do anything constructive to get good energy out into the world. Like, no, they want to huddle together at lunchtime and whisper to each other. Oh, wow. Did you hear about Saoirse's dad? Isn't it just so sad? Oh, my God, it just shows you. It doesn't matter how successful you are. Everything. Ah, no one would say that. I fucking heard them. And it wasn't even my school friends. It was their moms. I was walking out of school one day and there were two of my friends' moms there leaning against cars talking about how one of them had seen my dad the day before and he was bald as a coot and how it just shows you it doesn't matter how much money you make when it comes down to it. Jesus, when it comes down to, like, a possibly life-threatening illness. Well, I mean, I can't be sure because that's when those two bitches saw me and due to their immediate and untimely death under my laser vision, I did not hear the rest of the story. You <laughs> are my actual hero. Life for real, though. The business, Saoirse. <laughs> you guys. But, like, back to Sinead, though. Oh, shit, yeah, the book. <laughs> but, like, no, like, I was, I was sort of thinking when that stuff came up for me, like, like is it kind of noble? To kind of try to protect people by taking decisions out of their hands. Like, like Sinead doesn't tell Alex she's sick. So he doesn't have to deal with it, you know. He can keep going about his life and be looking after the kids, waiting for her to come home. Even though, like, she's going to be in hospital for, like, maybe forever. No, like, that's not right. Like, you have to tell your partner everything. Like, them's the real. But, like, then back to what we were talking about with Margaret Rose and Nikita. Like, Margaret Rose does what she thinks is best for Nikita, but she takes the decision out of her hands altogether. She decides for her. Yeah, but, like, she her mom, though. Yeah, okay, but then, say, Jane and her doctors and her daughter, like, Jane is after having nine kids in her life and reared them all and she's been in a marriage with a man that has at least been abusive to her on a couple of occasions that we're aware of. Um, But no, that family is all gone. Her remaining daughter, who's still around, and her doctors put her into ward where she's wandering around with her tits out asking people, can she borrow their knickers? Shit, I forgot about her, like, asking people for knickers. There isn't a whole lot of dignity in that yeah like how happy she was when she got like that wonder bra 
I remember, yeah, when that happened and then I was like, oh my God, that's where she got the orange gloves. Someone must have given them to her. It's not a Michael Jackson thing. Yeah, but like, were they also the people that taught her how to moonwalk? Well, I mean, that is the million dollar question. Like... I'd love to have a picnic on the floor. Yeah, Jane for president. Like, we should just do that. Just have a picnic on the floor of one of the lecture rooms, like, Aww. in Jane's honour. Like, you are so embarrassing. I don't know why I'm friends with you, <laughs> genuinely. <laughs> so, like, I, I'm aware that we're into some some really deep um, literary criticism right here. But, um, you guys, we are so over it's not even funny. Like, no, we're... N- oh, my God. Exactly, but, man. Like, we didn't get to talk about Shane and his stolen Wi-Fi. Or like Riley, Molly Zane and her amazing lipstick. Or like how those student nurses didn't manage to kill everyone. Like genuinely mine. Not like how many blood tests have I had taken by someone that was drunk standing up eating taco fries at a taxi rank two hours previously. Like I don't want to think about that. Yeah that is genuinely terrifying. But Gareth like isn't it like, isn't it kind of nice, though, that, like, Margaret Rawls and Sinead and Jane with our boobs out and all, like, like, they all kind of mind each other, don't they? Like, they all kind of make sure that they're okay and, like, they especially make sure that, like, Jane don't hurt herself and, like, has what she needs and stuff. Yeah, no, I know. I, that really struck me, too. Like, it's amazing that, like, with all of the judgment and, like, expectation and, like, exploitation in some cases that, like, these women have had to go through and that's kind of warped them a little bit. Like... They're all really, like, just, I don't know, like, drenched in forgiveness and, like, acceptance of each other. You'd want to fuck off, Saoirse Flannery. What? Drenched in forgiveness and acceptance. (laughs) You mean to tell me, you are sitting there saying to me that you're not at home the night before we record thinking up that shit. (laughs) Like, like, no, I think now, now is the time to say we are most definitely at the end of this show. I want to see the fish fight, man. What you saying? You saying Northsiders fight out in the car park? Is that what you saying right now, Katie Morphy? (laughs) Do you challenge people to fight in the car park twice? So we what that's nothing to do with me being from Cabra K. So as you were it's <laughs> available at all reputable booksellers. Shop independent if you can. And you can follow Elaine on Twitter at, at Elaine Feeney16 um, to keep track of her general amazingness. Um, you can also catch Elaine on Instagram at ECFeeney11. Again, for picture-based amazingness. Um, we will be back in a little more than a month um, with a new series. Elsie needs to take a bit of time out, uh, what with the overwork and mental health requirements and everything. But uh, but in the meantime, if you can please, please, please like and subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, you'll hear about our next episodes and also help more folks hear about us. Um, and that would be too awesome of you. Um, plus, Elsie does do this totally solo and doesn't get paid for it. Such is the extent of her love of books and talking about them so if you were on for leaving a review on apple podcasts or your preferred podcast platform of choice um it would really help the show and it would be just so sound of you um you can find us on instagram at at life chiclet four on twitter at at chiclet for life one and on tiktok at at chiclet for life If you want to follow, you can find videos, more discussion and sometimes an insight into our nonsensical group chat. Um, We will see you guys as soon as we can. Um, And in the meantime, stay safe, stay hydrated, mask up where appropriate and remember to have some fun. Um, We will see you guys later. Thanks so much for listening. Yay! Don't fight people in the car park, Katie. Why are you always talking about it? 
This week on Dedoy, we tried something a little different and challenged our callers to say something nice for once. Um, um, Mars ice creams are, are nice and, um, they're, they're like way fewer calories than, than a Mars bar, which is, which is maybe the only time something is, is nicer, but like less bad for you. Oh, her. Do you remember Mars Delights, them bars? Uh, yeah. People need to stop with the, the Mars Delight thing. Like, they weren't that nice. Here, you take it back. Make me cool, chi. Yeah, the whole experiment was, uh, a spectacular failure, but, uh, you gotta tune in, I guess, to joy Thursdays.